0: Welcome to We Never Met, the podcast where I have interesting strangers on every single week. Today, we have the head coach of Bradley University men's basketball, Brian Wardle, on the podcast. Thanks for joining us.
1: Well, thanks for having me.
0: So you grew up in Illinois, correct? Yeah. Uh, did you, you went to Marquette, so did you know about Bradley when you were in high school? And
1: Oh yeah, yeah. I uh, just, I fell in love with basketball in the 80s and started when Michael Jordan came onto the Bulls. I mean, that's when I just started watching the game. and. As the 80s went on, I started as I got a little older, you know, kind of around my son's age and my daughter's age. Now, I always tell them I started watching college basketball and the Bulls all the time. every night. And the Bradley was rolling in the 80s. Illinois State was pretty good, too. So, I mean, in in the state of Illinois, basketball was really, really big in the mid 80s to late 80s going into the 90s. And so it, it was a sport that I started. I only I started playing around eight, nine, 10 years old. I think fourth grade was when I first started playing like rec ball. But it all started because of watching teams like the Chicago Bulls, Bradley Braves on TV.
0: Yeah. Did you sort of have any inkling that you were going to play collegiately? Because, I mean, a lot there's a lot of people that play high school athletics, but it takes a higher caliber, obviously, to play collegiate level sports.
1: Well, it became a goal of mine as I got a little older. I wasn't very good at all. I was uncoordinated and got cut from a lot of teams when I was younger, Uh, travel teams, especially travel basketball was just starting And now when I see my kids and what they do and travel, it's unbelievable what has developed. But it it became a goal. I think as I got a little older, I realized I played baseball, football, basketball, uh, multi-sport athlete. Um, I think as I got older, I started to find my love and passion was in basketball more than the other sports. And and, uh, I thought there might be a future for me if I kept working hard. But uh, I didn't really know. But that was ultimately the goal uh, was to get to that point and and hopefully play uh, at the highest level of college if I could.
0: Yeah. What do you think was different about basketball than the other sports for you that and you ended up like falling so much in love with it compared to the other ones?
1: The team a- aspect I loved. I, I, lo- I loved being in a team atmosphere where you have five guys on the floor having to work as one and um, and play together. And, and it wasn't all on your shoulders every night. I mean, it was so teammates being coached. Um, having that team aspect, I really fell in love with, but I just love the action of basketball. I I struggled personally. Uh, I love baseball was great, but I love pitching in baseball, but I didn't like playing the field. I didn't want to just sit and wait. Um, I'm I'm, I'm kind of an on the go guy, high energy. Let's go, let's go, let's go. And basketball fits that it's nonstop sport and it's constant running, cutting, jumping. So I think probably that just fit my personality a little bit more too.
0: Yeah. And when you went to Marquette, I mean, currently, I think you're the eighth leading scorer in Marquette men's basketball history, which is insane. (laughs) Um, uh, So when did you decide to, when you were playing at Marquette, you you saw people like Dwayne Wade, like I I think your last year right there. Yeah, he was a freshman. Yep. And then um, you were coached by like Tom Crean, all these people who are very high level um, basketball minds. Is there anything specifically like you took away from uh, getting coached by Tom Crean or like watching Dwayne Wade play?
1: Well, I try to learn from everybody I, I come in contact with, honestly. And and especially if they're people that I think have that work ethic and drive to be successful. And Dwayne was just uh, he was a really good guy, um, a great teammate. My one year I had with him, he, he couldn't play that year. Unfortunately, we could have really used him. If we had him, we would have been a lot better because he obviously for the His his, his ability to score the ball and play make. He had a great work ethic academically on the on the floor. He wasn't afraid to work on his weaknesses. I think that's a huge huge key nowadays is understanding we all have weaknesses. We all have things we got to work on, and it's okay if we fail um, trying to improve in those weaknesses. And um, I think he did that consistently, uh, which is why he went where he went. He just was never comfortable, and he wanted to always improve. And then Tom Crean was a you know obviously his work ethic was extraordinary as a coach. He his passion, his love for basketball, but, um, great motivator. I mean, he found, he found things to motivate you. Um, I thought he did a great job of figuring out what your personality was, what drove you. And then he pushed you and motivated you and demanded from you to reach a level that maybe you didn't even think you could reach. So all those things, uh, I, I, I kind of take uh, away from a lot of coaches and a lot of teammates that I have for sure.
0: Yeah. Do you think that's an important part of coaching these days is sort of like not having one specific style, but like sort of tailoring how you talk to each player?
1: I think it's a touchy subject nowadays. Um, I think where you hear on the outside in society is you got to treat everyone differently. There's truth to that in coaching, but your accountability of your program, your identity of the program, and more importantly, who you are has to be consistent, uh, if that makes sense. So Mm -hmm if you're intense and competitive, like I am every day and I'm bringing my energy every day, my players respect that because you're consistent. I think there's too many inconsistent coaches. They try to be good to this player and not good to this player or, or treat this player a little different than this player that can also get it, get you into trouble because players want consistency. They want uh, accountability and they want to know that you are who you are. You are who you say you are. And I think today with social media, people can live a different life on social media than they live in the real life. Your players want to know you. They know who they're getting every single day. So I think more importantly, I'm consistent. I'm extremely fair to all my players, from my best player to my walk-ons. This is how our programs run. This is who I am every day. But I'm open to learning if there's things that you would like to see change or this I'm very open to listening and exchanging ideas. Cause there's gotta be a mutual respect in our locker room. And I think we have that at Bradley and that's, what's important.
0: Yeah. Uh, that could for sure get confusing. I feel like from a player aspect, it's like, yeah. why why are you being so nice to that guy and like screaming <laughs> yeah. at me? Like, yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, I don't know if everyone gets like equal playing time. No, yeah. but Everyone's got to be treated fairly. I believe that. I believe the old slogan: "No one has ever thanked me for expecting little of them." I really have high expectations and standards for our young men in our program, and I think they want that. Young people want to learn and grow nowadays more than ever, and they want to work and they want to spend time with you in the gym. And um, that's what I still love about coaching right now is is just the passion for improvement with a lot of these young people.
0: Yeah, and I I I mean not to get too far into the other stuff but like I think what I cuz I cause I've, I'm obviously a Bradley alum and I've mm-hmm. watched uh I've ironically been to more games after I've graduated than I was in school. <laughs> but yeah, I think your 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 coaching consistency and like even seeing that like there are there are things that are too far or like past what you're willing to put up with. You know mm-hmm. what I mean where it doesn't matter the level of skill you're at. If you're not willing to like put in the work or you're doing something wrong, you you can't play. And I think that's good.
1: No, absolutely. I think it's, I always tell players and I, when I speak at clinics, I kind of, I've, I've changed just, you know, certain philosophies of things in the program as I've grown as a coach and trust is critical. It's trust and production for playing time. And what you just hit on is the trust. There's trust on the floor. Can you run this play right? Are you going to be in the right spot at the right time? Are you going to execute? But there's also trust off the floor that we know who you are as a person, that you're going to uh, conduct yourself in a professional and personal, highly professional, highly personable manner every day when it comes to the academics, comes to the social life that you're trying to grow as a person. So if that trust isn't there and that young person just is like, no, I don't believe in these standards, I don't believe in these expectations, I'm just not going to do it. Well, sometimes that's not the right fit and you can't play those guys that aren't buying in to what all the other players in that locker room is trust in that locker room between the players is critical. And as a coach, you got a sense, Hey, I got 12 guys that don't trust this guy at all. He's not on board. He's not, you know, trying to be part of this program and team. And then, so sometimes you just got to understand that as a coach, gauge the temperature of the room and then make the right decisions moving forward from there.
0: Yeah, and and so you started your um your assistant coaching career at UW Green Bay, mm-hmm. um and then we're also the head coach there. When you were an assistant coach there, how was the program performing compared to like when you were actually head coach, and th- what changes did you make?
1: We had a good program. Todd Kowalczyk was is one of my mentors. He was the head coach there. I learned a lot from him, and we had a couple good years for him where he moved on to Toledo. So the position opened up, and we lost a lot though after that year. Lost four seniors transfers went with Todd to Toledo. So during the interviewing process, I knew it was going to be a rebuild, um, of the program. Um, after that year we won, I think like 20 or 21 games and then lost in the conference tournament. But I felt green Bay, there was a lot we could still do. We never finished in the top two. We, we you know, we never won the league. We, we didn't get to the tournament. We never got to the semis. I don't think maybe once of the conference tournament. So there was a lot still to accomplish. So, that's kind of what drove me to really go after the job. And even though I knew it would be a little bit of a rebuilding with the personnel, I thought um, my belief of just being a really competitive group um, and, and defensively and rebounding, having that as your backbone and your foundation, every game, every practice could maybe help us get to that next level that we were just missing out on. And and that's what we were able to do. I hired a great staff. I had good coaches around me. We established an identity of, you know, Everything in practice is competitive, compete, defend and rebound and and get that competitive spirit going at a high level and and understand that the ball and basketball sometimes doesn't always go in. It, It may not be your night where the ball's going in the rim and you got to have something that keeps you in the game and keeps you in that competition to the end to possibly win. And, and that's really what helped our program grow and, and go to that next level and win the league and, and do the things that we did.
0: Is that why sort of defensively, I feel like your programs are so, so like tight and, and well, I guess coach defensively is because and I don't, I mean, there, there's tons of talented players, but at a, even at a smaller school, it's hard to just get, pure scorers on the court all the time so is it more important I guess to find someone that will fit defensively in that style that's willing to work hard because buckets aren't going to go in every night
1: yeah I think you said it exactly what I kind of look for it's not even like the athletic talent it's you said that's willing to work hard be coach be a part of an an unselfish group because our our program really is built on on unselfishness selfish players entitlement just doesn't fit well with me or Bradley basketball right now. It's a, it's a great group of young men that want to sacrifice for the guy on the left and right of them. And uh, I think we look for that in recruiting too. I I think that's important for us in recruiting that we find that so that it can fit what our program is about. And once you have that, we can teach you defensively how to play angles, technique, um, details, and then, Really, we're just going to expect a commitment and energy level on that side of the ball. I mean, just if you don't have it, you just don't play. And it's nothing personal. It's, it's about that production part of, hey, you need to do this because this is what we believe wins. And then you show them how it wins and you show it how the plays that they made and how it impacted the game and, and how their role is so, so vital for our program to be successful. Because everyone's role is huge, even if you're not playing much on game day. Uh, what we do every day is, is critical. And, you know, I've I've seen it as a player work. I've seen it as coaches, as a coach assistant and head coach work. And, and that's kind of what our beliefs are.
0: That's interesting. Cause like, so how do you deal with the sort of player that, cause you know, obviously all players have like peaks and valleys are things, you know, sometimes they go on a cold streak. They can't shoot. They can't make a basket. How do you sort of navigate that as a coach? Do you just like pull up, put them in, keep playing, keep shooting. Eventually you'll make it.
1: Yeah. it, It just, I think it depends on the individual there. And that's where when they step outside those lines off the court and in that relationship you have with them. I think as a coach, I'm very vulnerable as a coach. If you get to know me, if I, I think people and my players will say I open up about my weaknesses, my strengths. I'm, I'm willing to talk about anything with my players. So I think you got to have that safe place where they feel comfortable telling you what's really going on in their life or maybe just going on between the ears. And sometimes it's just, hey, you're thinking too much. Just play you know, quiet the mind, talk to yourself, don't listen to yourself, get out there and play. And then maybe it's sometimes I got to give them a motivational video Mm -hmm. show so they could visually see themselves making shots or doing these things really positive over and over and over again, and just drill it in their head that they have it in them. It's just, they got to, it's going to come back out. Don't worry. In my experience, I've kind of dealt with all, it might be in a relationship thing. It might be a family situation. So that's where you just got to have a program where, I think your players are willing to come to you or come to one of your staff members and, you know, talk some things out off the court for sure.
0: At Bradley, um, I'm not sure at uh, Green Bay, but at Bradley, you've had a very international lineup in international recruiting. How does that play into, I guess, today's game of basketball? Is that just because it's available or is it because like there are there's so so much untapped talent overseas?
1: Well, I think basketball has just grown to be a worldwide sport more than ever now over the last 20 years, 10 years, it's it's worldwide. And so it's one of the more popular sports in the world, You know, probably behind soccer, honestly. So a lot of talent out there, um, a lot of skilled players out there, a lot of good young men and women that uh, would love the opportunity to come to America and get a college education and play at the division one level. And so uh, you get a lot of gratitude and grateful young men that come into our program for the opportunity. And and really, it was kind of, I didn't have many international kids at Green Bay at all. If, if you look it's just that first year at Bradley, when I got to job, it was kind of late in the game a little bit in, in the spring when it comes to the recruiting side. Um, a lot of players already signed or committed somewhere. So, um, And then I had a bunch of scholarships, nine, ten scholarships to fill in the end of April middle of April so we just kind of went that route as a staff we looked in and dabbled in international we've signed four or five guys that year. we had a lot of success there and we built relationships. so once you get some international kids from a country or from a certain program, once they get into your program you build that relationship with their coaches their international coaches, their families and it's amazing how that has just opened up our network overseas. We have a very good reputation in Europe, our university, in our program. So now we have doors open that we didn't have five years ago when it comes to players, rink, mass VLA, for instance, our, our two young men we have right now from Europe are, I think are very talented players and very skilled and are going to have good careers because of those doors that opened up five years ago.
0: And and sort of bringing him up. He, he was injured last year. And it seemed like a bunch of the injury bug kind of hit hard uh, last year for sure. How did you sort of navigate through that? And uh, you still won the Missouri Valley uh, championship. Um, so how did you work through that? You know, knowing there's a finite number of players
1: that you have. I really haven't had a year like it in 10 years as a head coach, just the injuries, the sickness too. We were sick and and a lot of teams were obviously what we're going through right now as a country, you know, it was just an odd, odd season that way. But that's why recruiting, good young men, unselfish young men, talented young men uh, that can have that next up mentality. Injuries are part of division one athletics. I mean, injuries, we are in a combat sport almost. It's not as extreme as obviously boxing or UFC, but it is a physical game. Injuries happen. I explain that to the players. So everyone's going to be coached and everyone's going to be ready for that opportunity to make the most of it. And I think that speaks volumes to my staff and their commitment to even the guys. It's not just that Bradley, we working with guys that are playing a lot. We're working with everybody because we understand that that opportunity might come and they need to be ready and prepared. And uh, I think that really helped us get through it and and win games when we had six scholarship guys, seven scholarship guys. Um, when we had a, you know, obviously a huge injury to Elijah Childs. And then we had guys, Daryl was sick one time. We, we, we had guys missing games left and right, but we just kept having that next, next up mentality. And, and there was a confidence in, with that group that everyone could get the job done if given them the opportunity. And, and they, we were able to do that.
0: One of the reasons I actually found out about Bradley was because of basketball and because of uh, their sweet 16 run before I, oh yeah I, I went to school there. How, I guess, how do you feel the importance level of like a good, I mean, it doesn't have to be basketball, but just sports program in general can be for a university like Bradley that's smaller.
1: I think if you watch, especially universities that have are committed uh, to basketball uh, or football, what it can do for your university—it's—it's it's the marketing, the advertising, the the name recognition. Um, I think young people want to be a part of a winner, uh, even if they're not in sports, they want to be a part of something where they feel you know what Bradley wins—they're producing winners—and I think sports can kind of give that image to a school in a lot of ways and. And when I came here, I wanted to build a winner, and but sustain it, too. I, I don't want us to just have one good year and two, and then we go down for three. I, I wanted to really build something to sustain and, and build to last. And I feel good about where we're going three years in a row, what we've done. And, and I, th- I feel good about the locker room we have right now. But it is, it, you know, you heard the old model front porch uh, to the house uh, is kind of athletics. And I know when we were going to the NCAA tournament from the Valley Championship, to selection sunday that media attention that always seeing the b shield up on espn or cbs or where wherever i mean if you look if you factor that into dollars that you would pay to get that type of marketing and advertising i mean there's been studies that say it'd be over four or five million dollars worth of just free advertisement free marketing so you can look at it that as that aspect but i also view athletics is big for working with donors Uh, bringing them to games, entertainment, helping donations, helping um, the community come together. You know how Peoria is, and they love hoops. And I think when Bradley is doing well, you can see the city come together. And sports can unite people from all different backgrounds, races. That's the beauty that I love. What we do is if you're winning and you're doing it the right way, that it can bring a city together, too. I've seen that over my career. So that's what we're trying to do here.
0: Yeah, no, I'm really glad that it's become successful cuz I have a a brother who went to Gonzaga and a sister who went to oh, but, uh, oh, butler.
1: You heard all about it, huh?
0: <sighs> oh yeah. The whole time I was at Bradley, it was it was like it wasn't very great. I graduated in 2013, so just okay. like yeah. just uh just before you started, but but yeah, so now it's great because I could be like, hey, look at, it's fun yeah. to watch and, you know. Now with like two championships back to back. Is it more pressure on now to like repeat that or is it harder at the beginning when you're you're only winning like five games and you're like building a program?
1: You know, your coaches say all the time it's it's harder to be at the top and sustain. It was pretty hard to build. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. I mean, going through the first season and second season, I, you know, I always get I always cringe. I watched our, our Loyola game the other night. I've been watching games at, in my basement during this quarantine, just reviewing things that we can get better at. And they put my overall record up at Bradley. And I'm just like, ah, oh, you know, just, oh, I'm a competitive guy. I'm like, but the first and second year matter. And and then those guys and, and what we were, even we lost, we established a foundation, the work ethic, the standards that we want to live by every day and work by. And we wouldn't be where we're at if it wasn't for those two years. But for me personally, to answer your question, I don't feel the pressure Either way, um, I'm a literally a one day at a time guy. What can I get done today? Like I have a list of just three things. I three things I need to get done today that I think can really help our program. And because of that, I, I don't get, feel that type of pressure. I think there's a lot more our program can still do there. There's, there's a level Bradley basketball I think can go to that hasn't happened here. And that's what I'm really trying to push for, and, and there's things in conference play we got to be more consistent with during the regular season. Um, there's a belief and expectation now to go to St. Louis that we're going to be, you know, hopefully people feel, hey, you got to get through Bradley now in order to possibly win this thing. Um, there's that confidence and and belief in our program, which is great, but that doesn't mean anything. You still got to put the work in, commit to the details, sacrifice for each other. Have that culture in the locker room to win, and and that's something that challenges me all off season to build, so that we can, you know, hopefully continue to grow and, and 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 be better as a program.
0: And talking about the the tournament, um, you're I don't know how many coaches can say that, but you went as a player and as a coach, um, correct?
1: No, I did not go to the NCAA tournament as a player. So that, really, that's always been something that's bothered me and had a chip on my shoulder to do as a coach. Um, I went to a bunch of NITs. Okay. And, uh, and did that. but And I had a great teammates in, a, in, in our program, a bunch of tough, mentally tough guys that could play. We just couldn't really get over that that edge in our league. And Conference USA back in the day was really, really strong that I played in. And it was a challenge every night. But no, it was, it's always been something that bothered me as a player, that I couldn't get it done as a player or lead my team to that level. Um, so it's it's been something that I wanted to do as a head coach. And now I feel very confident that we can continue to do it.
0: Yeah, what was your feeling then getting that bid for the first time? The automatic bid, oh,
1: just you know, honestly, sigh of relief like, geez, you know, <laughs> like I've seen some now, luck go. there's some luck that goes into it, a very small percentage. But I've had, I've been just I feel on the back, um, uh, I, I feel I've had some bad luck with injuries to my key players in conference tournaments or when I was at Green Bay, I thought I had teams at Green Bay or definitely NCAA tournament teams. Probably could have won games in the NCAA tournament. To be quite honest, we just had, we ran into a, some bad luck a couple times, and so to be able to be healthy and strong for and have see your seniors step up each year and make big shots, big plays, and you want to see your seniors shine in that in those in the spotlight. There, it's it's been very gratifying for me and, and and been very exciting. Now, you know, to be quite honest, the more I taste it, the more I want it. It's it's something that drives me now to get keep getting us putting us in position to be there again at, at the best I can.
0: Yeah. Why did you ultimately decide? Because I mean, you could have coached other places too. Why did you decide college basketball
1: in coaching in college basketball? Yeah. I don't know. I you know I always tell people if I wasn't a college coach, I'd probably teach and coach high school ball, you know, or an AU program. I mean, I love teaching. Uh, I love coaching. Like during this quarantine, I've spent a lot of time with my daughters who play basketball and just working them out, my son who's eight, just working him out. Like, I think if people that know me well would say he, my favorite time is on the court teaching. So it was always, I could sense it in high school that I picked things up pretty easily. It came natural to me to speak up, it came natural to me to be vocal. Um, it came natural to help others so that we could execute and put people in positions to, to get things right. And so I kind of just felt like it was, and my coaches would always say, hey, you should try to coach one day, might be something good for you. And I listened to them and, um, you know, my playing career, uh, I played two years of pro ball in the semi-pros chasing the NBA dream. I wasn't good enough to get to that dream, but I called it quits probably early from playing, which was really hard for me because I was so competitive and I was still somewhat healthy in my career. But Tom Crean gave me a great opportunity to kind of come in as a director of ops and help him out and learn the lay of the land, learn the business uh, at the bottom, and, and and try to work my way up. and And I just couldn't pass up on that. And and plus, my wife at the time was had a great job and was like, "I'm not coming to Europe with you. So you better you better figure this out." So, those are the life decisions I was explaining to my players. You're going to have to make some life decisions that you got to figure out what's your priority. And and she was a priority of mine too. And. And it worked out for the best, obviously.
0: Yeah. Is it, is it something too about like, I mean, not to say that people in professional, I mean, you could be like 18, 19 years old and play in the NBA, but something to develop, uh, developing people too, like developing, I guess, people that came from high school into actual like men when they get out.
1: That's, I mean, that's the most gratifying thing. You can talk about the championships and the rings and hanging banners. I mean, ultimately as a competitor, you want to do that, but when you see those guys uh, that come in as freshmen, not sure of themselves, quiet, won't look in the eye, or won't express themselves, are, are very guarded, or however, whoever it is, all different types of people we've had in our program and personalities, but then to see them four years later, look you in the eye, very outgoing, maybe from passive to aggressive, or, or vice versa, maybe overly aggressive to calm down and understand some certain things, so to see that development is the most gratifying thing. I mean, if you look at our three seniors, there's no doubt you saw them grow as people just as much as players at, over their four years.
0: Yeah. And uh, I, I was interested about like, so when you were director of ops at, uh, was it at Marquette? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Did they go to like the tournament when you were director of ops?
1: We went to, no, I th- we went to the NIT that year, Travis oh, okay. senior and Steve Novak were there. And that's why I, I, I tweeted something out about Travis Deaner making that shot in the TBT the other night because I've known Travis for a long time and uh, he broke his wrist his senior year and was out for seven I think I don't know I'm, I'm not accurate but maybe six to eight games and I don't think we won one of them without him on the floor so he's just got that it factor and he's a winner and um, so we were we were a good team I mean we were an NCAA tournament type team if, if we could have stayed healthy that year and then So that I could even factor that year into some of the bad luck that you may have as a coach. So you got to take advantage of those opportunities. When you, when you have a good team and you're healthy, you want to put them in position to have that opportunity to win it all because it's, it's hard to do. It's very hard to do. And I had a great mentor in Trey Schwab when I was at Marquette. Trey uh, taught me a lot and he's passed away since then. He was a a big influence on me, along with Tom Crane, along with all the coaches on the staff. So it was uh, a great learning experience for me.
0: Yeah, no, Travis Diener, I mean, I'm here in Milwaukee. He was a huge deal when yeah. he played. He was uh, like a superstar here.
1: No, he, you know, Trav, I, I said it. He is just like that it factor. He is no fear. He is who he is. Uh, I always respected that about him. He never tried to please anybody. He was just, he was a competitor. And when you when you put that scoreboard up, it was a different guy came out. Um, you can do all the drill work all you want and and i say this a lot to to coaches because there's a lot of personal trainers now and and that is great working on your skills is important but travis was not a two-ball dribble guy he wasn't the best in skill work but he was the best when it came to competing and that competitive spirit is something i took from travis from you know a lot of my teammates that i saw that If you have that spirit, no matter what you do in those individual drills or even how hard you go, how hard you practice, if you can take it to another level of competitiveness, you can see guys make big plays and big shots. And he's always done that. I mean, since high school to college and now obviously as is. Careers and wrapping up, probably.
0: So, when you were a player versus when you're a coach now, are there things that you did as a player you're like, okay, I'm glad I don't do that anymore? Or things that you took as a player that you're like, okay, I'm glad I still have that? I'm sure competitiveness is one of those things.
1: Oh, I love it. You're asking great questions, you know. I mean, I, I love talking about this because this is stuff I share with my players and staff privately. Yeah, I mean, I, I would have butted heads with myself in you know? college. Um, put it that way. Um, I got some stubbornness to me. I think all coaches do in a way. I'm, I'm, everybody kind of does in a way. But yeah, I and mean, if I could go back now, you know, I'm I'm 41 almost and been a head coach now. I've been very blessed to have a good uh, head coaching career at a young age. If I could go back now and play in college, my work ethic would still be really strong. I, I don't think I always worked at it. Uh, I was a worker. I, I was an overachiever, and um, I was competitive. But my leadership. And some of the things I did, uh, we weren't as educated on sleep and hydration and health. and But just overall, my leadership would have been so much better. I could have been a much better leader. I could have done things on the court a little bit better. Maybe that could have helped our team. So there's no doubt. I think anybody would say if they could go back in time, they'd be a better player.
0: Yeah. Is that stuff you instill? Because, I mean, your first year at Bradley, you had one of the youngest, if not the youngest team in division one basketball. Um, So is that something reflecting a little bit about leadership that you sort of instilled at a very young age with those players that were coming in?
1: Yeah. I think everyone can lead in certain ways. Um, Whether it's by showing up 15 minutes early to practice and getting out on the free throw line and doing what you're supposed to do. That's leadership. I mean, you can lead by example. You can lead vocally. You can, there's, there's so many ways to lead. You can lead by listening, well by eye contact by being coachable by just not just nodding your head saying yes but actually applying what was told to you and so that's always been a, a big thing that i try to tell every player in the locker room you can all lead in some way and uh you try to let them figure that out on their own and then if they can't then you got to pull them along and kind of guide them into how they can help lead your program and that is something that I think has been big. And I got a great staff. I mean, I got I got uh, Jimmy Foster, Mike Bargain, Drew Adams, who have been with me now as assistants for uh, five years. And they do an unbelievable job at, by leading, by example, as a husband and father, but also uh, vocally, too, and and communicating and talking to our guys. So to be a successful program, you got to have it. Not just from your coaches, but your players. A player-led team will always beat a coach-led team. I say that all the time. If your players are leading the talk, our players are leading the the huddles, the players are, are holding each other accountable. Now the coach will do all that too. But if the players are really driving that and understand the importance of that, that's when you can be a different level of a program. And we're, we've been there the last, you know, two, three years. So that's, that's a positive for us.
0: When does coaching sort of like end, you know what I mean? Like there's a certain point like Obviously, with all the, the rebuilding that you've done and how successful the program has become now to, compared to where it was, coaching obviously makes a huge impact, but uh, at what point does that have to end and like the players have to take over, basically?
1: Well, I don't know if it ever ends, but what you said is true. There's got to be a point where you can sense these players own it. There's ownership here. They believe in uh, the mission of the, they believe in the goals, the vision of the season, they believe in each other. And you can sense that it, it's, it's really kind of what, how I define culture. It's what people hear, see, and feel when they come around your program. So if you, if you ever came to one of our practices, I hope you walk in the office and you can just kind of feel something like, Oh, okay. These guys get along. Like they don't just talk it. They walk it. I, I feel, and I see something. And, and now I'm hearing it too, that, they're, they're all in this together. There's a unity here. And I think that's ultimately what you need is you got to make that shift to be good and, and to be consistently good. And you may not win it every year. You may not, but you can at least know you're putting a good product on the floor and and you're all moving in the same direction. So there's no doubt that, that, that has to happen at some point. And it may not be in the summer. It may not be in the fall. You might feel it during the season, like three years ago when we won our first 20 games, I felt it in January shifting. You can kind of feel it. You know, the seniors are like enough, enough. The juniors were like, we're with you. You know, maybe it was a team meeting. Maybe it was just a player meeting. Maybe it was a tough conversation you have to have behind closed doors that works some differences out. Whatever it is, every season's different. But that shift, uh, you can kind of see, hear, and feel as a coach, too. And that's when you know you can maybe do something special.
0: Yeah, I mean, if I did come to one of your practices, I feel like it would be good for the team because uh, I feel like sometimes people take even college athletics for granted. You know, you just watch from the sidelines and you're like, oh, I could go out there and do that. But just like well, you letting, got any
1: eligibility left. You got any eligibility?
0: <laughs> oh, I got all my eligibility. left, <laughs> So we're good. Yeah. Um, uh, but yeah, no, I, I I'm interested about like sort of, you know, there are some games where I mean we, we could talk about the the championship um I think it was not this year but last year when you were down down by tw- 19 points or something like that at half
1: Yeah it was what 17 18 19, somewhere around there yeah, yeah. I can't how- remember that
0: <laughs> But you won anyways but like um how do you how do you go into a locker room what do you like say at that time because 19 I mean it was a record comeback Uh, How do you even like, you know, like fix what needs to be fixed or turn things around that quickly?
1: What we try to do at halftime is just pinpoint two or three things, you know, that we got to tweak or improve on. You might have to motivate one player. You don't go into halftimes um, yelling and screaming. You just very, very rarely do I have to do that. You got to gauge the temperature of your team. I always say that like, and that's where your staff comes in. Hey, where are we? Hey, you might need a light of fire right now. Like we got to wake up. But that halftime wasn't that. That's a big moment. That's a big moment. I understand the pressure and the stress of the situation. That's where you go in there and you instill probably some confidence and calmness that there's plenty of time. I say that all the time. It's a long game. A lot can happen. I've seen so many games like that. So it's not a shock to me. I've been through that as a player and as a coach. I've seen that happen before. But you got to take it as a one possession at a time. Stay in the moment. You know, Be where your feet are. Just try to take it one one possession at a time, one possession at a time. And then when we have an opportunity, we got to make the most of it, though. So you're going to get presented opportunities this half. We have to capitalize on it. And that's maybe some added pressure, but that's the reality of the situation. So we've trained all year for this. Let's do it. You try to just instill that confidence that there's plenty of time and that you, we can get it away. But you're not going to get it all in five minutes or ten minutes. It's going to be we got chip away, chip away, chip away, chip away and play our style of basketball and play it at a high level to win. And that's what we did
0: yeah when you're in situations like that and like coming into the second half and you start playing are you i don't want to say blindly confident but are you just like so sure that it can turn around because you i mean you ha- yeah i guess you'd have to be
1: yeah i, I don't know about 100 sure i'm not i'm not gonna lie and say well, we're down i, I think we we're down 11 or something at half there so that wasn't that big of a mm-hmm. deficit at halftime that's easy to overcome but then when it got to 18 Luke lundy spoke up firmly in the huddle you know, players were talking, you can also gauge that no one's quiet. I think when, when your teams over my years and experience, if they start to get quiet and I'm driving it all, all right, now we might be in a little bit of a trouble, but it we never ever got that way with that group down the stretch of that season. It was, we were all engaged, all on the same page. And I think that's uh if you sense that you'll be okay, you got a chance if you're all getting quiet and going your separate ways and getting frustrated, then, then it can, it might get ugly for you, honestly. So um, that's usually what I try to gauge and look at as we're throughout the ups and downs of a game. And, and like I said, basketball is a game of momentum and swings and you never get too high, never get too low. You got to stay right there in the middle and everything that you do.
0: Yeah. I mean, that, and that goes back to recruiting too, recruiting like high character people yeah. that are yeah. willing to, you know, not quit and not give up. Exactly. Um, I, at Bradley at green Bay, is there like a, you know, we talked about championships and about developing players. Is there a way you want to be remembered in like the basketball landscape when it's all said and done? I mean, that's way in the future,
1: but. Honestly, in today's day and age, I just want to be remembered as a stand-up guy. You know who Brian Wardle is every day. He's uh, his big heart. He cares. He's going to tell you the truth. He's not always going to agree with you. He doesn't expect you to agree with him. There's a respect level there. Hopefully they say I'm a hard worker and I was loyal to my players because that's ultimately that's, those, those characteristics are very important to me. So hopefully I've, I've shown that, um, so far and I'm, and I think I will, as I get older too, as I've learned every year I've got, I think I've improved every year and I, and I need to keep improving. I know that. So hopefully I can continue to do that as my career goes on.
0: Yeah. Well, just from this conversation, I would attest that that is how you are. I think, um, I'm just, I'm very grateful as an alumni that we have a coach like, like you there that's developing not only, Uh, a great program, but, but great people too. So,
1: well, I appreciate that. We're, we're doing our best. We're not perfect and we're going to make some mistakes still, but as long as we, uh, have the right morals and values intact and we're all working together, we can, you know, like I say, we, you can overcome anything and learn from it and grow. So it's, it's been a fun, fun five years. I love being at Bradley pure has been great to me, my family, my wife and kids love it. And I, I appreciate your support and having me on. And I love hearing that you Love Bradley basketball now maybe more than you were a student. So <laughs> yeah. Being optimistic, I hope we're playing games this year because I do know it's important to uh our school but definitely to our city too and um and, and these young men are working hard right now to put a good product on the floor
0: well i appreciate it thank you so much for coming on and and the the great conversation um is there a, is there a place uh, specifically that people can go to get like updates on bradley basketball and stuff like that
1: yeah i mean you can go to bradleybraves.com and and, and just go to the basketball link but at bradley umbb at bradley umbb is our twitter feed that gives you the update, up to date stuff on a daily basis of what our program's doing. So that's probably the best way to follow us.
0: Well, once again, thank you so much for coming on. I appreciate it. Um, it was great talking to you.
1: No, it was awesome. Thank you anytime. And then hopefully when you're in Peoria, stop by practice. I got to see your jump shot.
0: I, I'll,
1: I'll bring it. I'll bring it. <laughs>